The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. Today's guest, Paul Lesser, is the head of talent acquisition at the 40,000-person strong financial services investment powerhouse, Fidelity Investments. Very excited to release this podcast as Fidelity has always been known as an organization with amazing talent. So it's great to talk with the person responsible for bringing in that talent. Of all my guests on the podcast, I've known Paul the longest. We go way back to our days at UMass, John Adams dorm. Shout out to our 16th and 10th floor dorm mates. It was great to sit down with Paul again. And we discussed the evolution of Fidelity's culture. Always been a dynamic place. And now one that's a little bit more informal with regard to their culture and work environment. And Paul talks about what Fidelity is doing now to assist their associates with career development and mobility. Looking forward to our next episode. Our guest is a fellow NERA board member and Director of Human Resources at Bright Horizons, Scarlett Abraham. And now I bring you my discussion with Paul Lesser. Well, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, our history goes way back to the mid-80s when we were at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, living in the same dorm. John Adams, J.A. as we called it That's back right. then, Paul. <laughs> it was a great school. It still is a great university and uh, made friends for life there. Loved going back there, probably not as much as, uh, as I'd like to. Met my wife there. We got engaged up at UMass. Oh, so, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, yeah. so just a, a great school, great memories. Mm-hmm. Did you know early on at UMass that you were going to be inve- you know, working in the investment field or in somewhere in the talent acquisition or HR space? Not even close. I don't know if you remember, I was the ad manager for the Collegian. So I, at uh, UMass, started selling advertising space probably my sophomore year. Did that for a year and then became the ad manager. And the Collegian was like 30,000 daily newspaper. And it was, you know, up in Amherst back then, again, there was no internet. So the only way people could advertise, you know, pizzas to deliver and, you know, parties at different clubs and stuff was through the Collegian. So I was the sales manager there. And that was a, a great job, great experience. Um, but I thought I was going to go into advertising, and it ended up not being um, coming out of school with a lot of loans and kind of understanding the economics. It was not a field where you really had to go to New York to really make it there. Right. And uh, the amount of, of salaries that was offered was like, this is, this is just not going to work. So I had to kind of rethink what I wanted to do. So how did you end up uh, from UMass to heading up talent acquisition for this large organization. How was the career path? What happened early in your life to kind of, or in your career to get you here? So I worked throughout high school and then college off, like off breaks and things. I worked at a company called The Interface Group. And they were a company that did the Comdex shows. So Sheldon Adelson, who now actually is a, I think, Las Las Vegas Vegas Sands. Sands. Correct. He owned the company. Phenomenal guy. He They started in Framingham. I grew up in Natick. And then they moved their business to Needham. And I did, I guess you could say, odd jobs at the, at the business for them. One of the things that was going on at the company, they were going through explosive growth. So they were using a lot of temporary help. Okay, So they were always bringing in manpower. And they were bringing in 
tech temps and all these firms because they just couldn't get enough people because when they had big events they had to staff up so it was like the first time that I had ever really understood this business and I used to drive Mr. Allison to the airport and he said this is a, a really growing area you know it's unbelievable how much I, I get to I have to pay these people but then I can say goodbye to them after the projects are done this is great it keeps my expenses you know in line whatever it was so when I got out of college and the advertising thing didn't work out, I saw there was an opportunity in this company, Technical Aid Corp. They were looking for a salesperson. And again, I'd been doing sales for advertising. And I remembered him talking about this whole temporary labor thing. So I went into that business. So I spent really from 1987 to 1995 in that business. Okay. So I started with a company called um, Tech Aid, then went to the new Boston companies. And um, they don't exist anymore, but uh, at the time they were up in uh, the, the um, spite of the state house in Boston. And I was providing to a company called Fidelity Investments temporary staff. So Fidelity in the you know early to mid 90s really started to hit their stride with growth. And they were hiring as fast as they could, really? particularly the skills that they were looking for back then, which is so interesting because where we are now was people that had good PC skills. If you could do Excel, Lotus, you were going to get hired because there was just so much analytical work that they were trying to do and they were trying to move towards more of a desktop environment. So I had a great relationship with a number of people here. Um, had been in that business for, you know, like I said, since 87. And good business, but it was a bit of a treadmill. Like you felt like every month you were starting over again. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was, a, it was a tough business. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time I had a six-month-old, and I remember saying to my wife, like, I, I just don't know if I want to do this the rest of my life. And started to kind of explore things, and Fidelity offered me an opportunity to come here, but I had to come in as a contractor. So I always give my wife all the credit because basically she was like, give it a shot. And you know, here it is, you're going in as a contractor. You had to get your home health insurance. They were paying you an hourly rate, um, which was great. But the thing that I did know about Fidelity was that if you did good work, they would find ways to keep you. So I started in May of 95, and by Thanksgiving that year, they'd made me a full-time offer. And at that point, I loved the fact that I'd come in here and recruit, and I'd have to go out looking for business. And managers would like call you back, and you know, it was, uh, it was awesome. The wrecks are always there. Exactly, right. exactly. That's great. So. And now 23 years later, here you are, right? 23 years later, um, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal company. I feel really fortunate. I've had, uh, I spent the first, uh, seven years here in town acquisition, both doing full-time recruiting and management, as well as um, contingent staffing. Then did, um, for the last 16 years, up until recently, was in the line. So I did human resources for technology. It got some phenomenal exposure, helping set up our Bangalore operation, which we now have 6,000 associates, um, really understanding that whole business. And then from 06 to 2013, went into asset management and headed up HR for our equity and high yield group, as well as um, our staffing function for the investment, both college recruiting and full-time recruiting. And got involved again in some global work, started up uh, London, Hong Kong, and Tokyo offices, and uh, really great experience, great cities, really phenomenal people. Like the investors here are just brilliant people. Um, you just learn so much from them. And then went back into the line in technology. And then a few months ago, uh, Bill Ackerman asked me to head up town acquisition. And kind of, as I like to joke, I started in 95 in the back of the World Trade Center. And 23 years later, I'm back in the back of the World Trade Center. So. Maybe we could talk a little bit about Fidelity's culture. Um, I know from knowing you and so many other people at Fidelity that Fidelity has, as you've said, it has a reputation of hiring smart people that work hard get great results. It's also known as an organization that's constantly evolving and changing. Yeah. And, and if, if anything, it seems like the speed is always increasing yes. of change at Fidelity, probably reacting to the business needs. What else can you say about uh, Fidelity and its culture? I think the greatest thing I could say about this company is they have 
never and won't ever rest on their laurels. You look at the businesses that have been built here between having an asset management business, a tremendous distribution platform that reaches retail customers, a tremendous platform that supports you know millions of Americans, hundreds of millions of Americans who are trying to retire with 401k plans, institutional business on the brokerage side, and our chairman, Abby Johnson, and the executives that work for her are constantly saying, how can we provide better solutions and better support for customers? And it's always about, okay, that's done well, but we can do it better. And more importantly, what do people need? And what I've really enjoyed about Fidelity is there's never been a time that I've come in here and felt like, okay, t this is going to be an easy month, an easy year, an easy week, because we're always trying to get better. It's and never going to be the same thing. There's no repeats. It's right. Never. And um, I think that uh, for me, what's been really, um, you know, what I'd say exciting and also rewarding is you have to bring your best self to work every day. And that's not to say, we we have great people. We have a lot of fun here, a lot of laughs. We, we, we this tremendous relationships that build. But you've got to come here and be prepared to, you know, know your work, know your stuff, be able to ask good questions, be able to listen, be able to learn. Like there's an expectation that you're going to continue to be out there learning and understanding what's happening um, in other you know, companies and in other industries. And it's just expected. So it's just a, it's a tremendous environment to come into as a professional. And whether you are entry level talking to customers or a senior executive coming up with your know, marketing strategies, you're expected to really understand what it is that you're doing that's adding value every day. I think that's why the company's been so successful. You know, one of the things is, Abby, when I've been in her presence in time, she's like, okay, she doesn't say, what are we doing right? She's like, how can that get better? And you might be going in and presenting something that's actually gone pretty good. And she'll say, how do, how do we make that better? Or what, what could have been done better? And I think that just really talks about the character of the firm, which is we want to continue to improve. Uh, but more importantly, we're really committed to helping customers they have a variety of financial problems and challenges and personal issues that we can help them with. And what's great is that's the direction that the firm has really wanted to go to provide those level of services. So what motivates me is the people here, but more importantly, every day is a different day, every year is a new challenge, and uh, I think it's an exciting place to be. It's an exciting industry. That's cool. You know, speaking of making things better, one of the things you've shown me around this beautiful site of 245 Summer Street, and I noticed it doesn't look like um, what I remember yeah. from Fidelity. Uh, yeah. you've, you've done some upgrades here, and I, if I had to describe it, I'd say it's kind of where a tech startup meets a beautifully designed boutique hotel, some of the offices you've shown me. What is this all about, and um, what, it's, what are the desires? What are you guys hoping to get out of this environment? I, I think the biggest thing is that you know we are transitioning into an organization that's operating in much more of an agile way in terms of how we deliver products and services. So business people, technology people, product managers working together, okay, as opposed to in the past it had been for the most part hierarchical, okay, or you had a project manager, so I've got a project, I give my requirements, you go off, you work with the tech people, come back and tell me how you're doing and I'll let you know how I think you're doing. And that creates um, what I'd call a long time sometimes getting the requirements right. It also, in many cases, people don't have equal skin in the game. And what we've tried to do is, and I think space is a great opportunity to do this, is create a lot more opportunities for collaboration, co-location, as well as our use of video. So anywhere you go, you're going to see opportunities to zero right in and have a team, which could be in India, it could be in Raleigh, it could be in Westlake, it could be in Ireland. But they can come in and be part of a conversation. So the space, I think, has been meant to kind of create a very open environment, more what we like to call casual collisions, where people run into each other, have conversations, 
teams to be able to get together in small rooms and have stand-up conversations. But I think what it's done is it's kind of created much more open dialogue and more of a dynamic environment. And I think when you talk about looking at the seventh floor where our chairman and a number of her directs are, they're all there. And I think the messages to associates, people can come up there and as you saw, there's, there's workspaces, people can plug in, they can you know, use the nice coffee machine, um, they can see some of the folks that they work with and have an informal meeting. But the other thing is it also brings the executives into you know full view where they might be heading off to get a cup of coffee or heading off to a meeting and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, I just saw I just saw Abby Johnson or I just saw, you know, Steve Neff. Wow. Because there's that, you know, star power for people at, right. in the in the organization to see our executives. And I think what it does is it ju just creates more of an open environment. And you know, we're testing a number of these types of spaces, uh, not just here in Boston, but uh, Westlake, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, Jacksonville, is, um, which is predominantly a phone site. Um, and I've not been down there yet, but I've heard the space is tremendous. So we're doing a lot of different things, but it's really around creating a more open environment, sharing, having conversations, working together, bouncing ideas off of each other. And uh, I think it's really added a lot of dynamic teamwork to our organization, as opposed to people being in offices with their doors closed. Great. Well, what are some common misconceptions about the fidelity culture that you hear out there? Well, I, I think just talking about space as an example, you know, I think people think that you, know, you come in here every day and it's a mahogany environment. Everyone's wearing a jacket and tie. It's uh, it's very uh, proper. And last, last time I saw you here, you were in jeans. So, yes. Yep. yep. And uh, so I think that there's a bit of a myth around you know, what is what is the environment really like? What is the culture really like? I think that the tone gets set by you know senior management around clearly. And, and you know my boss Bill Ackerman has made a, a number of changes around what we call associate experience in the organization, and whether it be how we've changed the cafeterias and, and the food, how we've thought about things like dress code, space. He also runs real estate space. You know these are the types of things that in order for people to actually believe that we're serious about it, people then have to kind of experience it. So dress code, perfect example, when you know, Abby and Bill did a video a couple years ago at year end, they both wore jeans. So people saw, oh wow, I guess, I guess they're serious about this. You know, or internally, you, know, you could have some ping pong tables in some areas, Managers need to go play ping pong so their associates see that it's it's okay. You know the tables like people are like oh can we can we do this? You know um, I think that even just how we it's think about it's not just a artwork exactly yeah, right. not <laughs> exactly how we think about healthy eating and and you know how we think about you know providing our associates with the opportunities to have healthy meals and and putting an incentive that you know four healthy meals fifth one's free to be able to you know really let people that were invested in them personally and professionally. We've done a lot of things like health clinics on site. You know, we're testing out a dentist on site. These are the kinds of things, though, that you know, we're testing out there to kind of demonstrate the commitment to associates, but also kind of change the culture where I think people felt like it was a stuffy Wall Street environment. And I didn't see much paper around there, Paul. Uh, no, that was... Uh, that where's, the, was where's all the paperwork the, and files? The, we are a digital company. Um, we have been asked to go paperless. So... When people are asked to do things around here, we tend to do them. So uh, you know. And what's been the reaction from the associates to try to you know here's have a more paperless environment? So I know your green initiatives as well. Yeah. yeah. So how are people reacting to that? I think that they got used to it. Now, yeah. first of all, a lot of people now are more. I've talked about the space. We have a lot of more unassigned space mobile space yes so i can tell you being somebody in my 50s i'm a pack rat so i will collect things the fact that i work now between two offices and travel a lot i don't print anything because i don't have to carry it with me 
So that changes behavior, okay? And I'm not kidding, that changes behavior. <laughs> but, you know, we're all like equipped, whether it be, you know, everybody has, you know, laptop or iPad. So there's ways to always have access to documents. And then we have a, a lot of what I'd call, you know, leading edge ways that we store documents that you can go into a meeting, you don't have to have everything with you, you can go into the libraries. So technology kind of has helped with that. I'd say for the most part, I've not heard a lot of pushback on it. And frankly, it was a lot of waste. You know, I interviewed Katie Burke. She's the chief people officer from HubSpot. And she said that in HR and in talent acquisition, that the skills of marketers and IT professionals mm -hmm. are becoming more and more needed inside HR and talent acquisition. And you've already touched on a couple areas, um, and you mentioned Abby and Bill, and I noticed you, all three of you are much more market focused in your messaging. Mm -hmm. On LinkedIn especially, I've noticed all three of you yep. are out there more. So maybe just a reaction to what she's saying. What what is um, what's been your experience? I mean, you come from an interest in advertising and sure. marketing early on, but how are you leveraging marketing and IT skills inside the HR profession? You know, I think that um, LinkedIn's phenomenal. It really, it really is because um, you just get such a great outreach. There's great tools um, as well. You know, from a recruiting perspective, they have a tremendous platform of tools, and it's just that everybody's on LinkedIn. So I've got kids in college; they're in business school, and they're like freshman year told, "You got to get on LinkedIn." You know, and so it's like just becoming part of like how people begin to promote themselves, network, and more importantly, understand what's going on in business. Mm -hmm. I think that um, social media is not going anywhere. Sure. I would say some of our associates, and I, don't, you know, I would say maybe executives with a little bit more you know, tenure, it's new to them to put themselves out there. Some have completely embraced it. My old boss, Steve Neff, he is out there. He has um, a passion for a number of not just charities, but also uh, in areas of diversity and inclusion. Um, he's very active in Pan Mass. He's very active with a firm called Common Impact. So Steve is out there, and he really enjoys it. I think I think as a firm though, particularly in recruiting, you need to recognize that if you're going to interview with somebody, they're going to look you up on LinkedIn because they want to be profile. They want to go in and ask good questions. Or if you're interviewing someone, you've seen their resume, but sometimes going to their profile will kind of give you a bit of a different, uh, a different view on things. Mm. I would say that the number one thing I, and I always knew how powerful the LinkedIn and social media process was, but I'll, I'll give you one anecdote. We were hiring four years ago ahead of um, cybersecurity, which for any company right now is one of the most critical roles you could have. And more importantly, it impacts your associates, it impacts your customers, besides your executives and the board, et cetera. And we hired a phenomenal um, person named Chad Renfro, who came to us from Bank of America. And one of the things that Chad said when we interviewed him was he'd got a number of calls, okay? And think about it, he was in demand as that particular area was. Mm. He said, I went and I looked at Steve Neff's profile, and I saw how committed he was to the Pan Mass every year. I saw how committed he was to Common Impact. He said, and I was talking to my wife about this and said, if this guy with this job has the time to be able to put time into those real passions of his, there's got to be some balance, okay? But it also tells me the kind of guy he is. And Chad came up here and we hired Chad really quickly for a very senior job, very quickly because he was just the right guy. And that story really resonated to tell people like, this is powerful because people are looking to see who the whole self is. And again, it's not for everybody, right. but that's an anecdote. And he never would have knew that he without would not the social have known media that. presence. No. Right? Would he have taken the interview? I'm not sure. He really wanted to 
know who he was working for and make sure that there was going to be a connection, as well as the fact that he has family, young children, and wanted to know he had some balance. And when he looked at Steve's profile and said, well, this guy's like really put himself out there for these other causes, he must have the time, mm. which which Steve makes that time. So I just think that's, that only enhanced their relationship coming in, and I think that that talks about the power of social media. Sure. In addition to LinkedIn, which combines IT and marketing probably, any other areas that you're finding that... Um marketing skills and technology is benefiting the work you do in HR and talent acquisition? Yeah, I mean, we're testing um, a number of things that, you know, we're still learning from. So one product um, that we use, a lot of our competitors use it, is HireVue. And HireVue gives us an opportunity for people to do a video interview, answer some questions, and give us a better view of the individual um, once they come in to apply for a role here. And that, that's worked well for us. A lot of our competitors uh, use that tool. Yeah, we, we use that tool as well. Yep. Yep. Um, we are looking at a tool um, that we're, that's worked really well called Text to Recruit. As you can imagine, particularly we do a lot of college hiring. Um, I know my kids, they don't really answer their phone, and they don't have voicemail set up. Uh, they're... Email is an archaic way to communicate, okay? So really the way to get them is texting. So we've used this product called Text to Recruit, and it's a great way to be able to text a candidate um, where an individual doesn't have to use their personal phone, so I'm not always giving people out my personal number, but it's a way that we can communicate. And that's worked really well in the college space, but also you know, with other, other candidates where we say, would you prefer you know, us to email you, to text you? And that works, that works really well. So that's a, that's a product that we're looking to um, actively scale. We're also using a product called Textio, which is a product to help us look at our job descriptions and help us write better job descriptions, make sure there's no bias in the job descriptions, but also kind of you know, give advice. It's sort of like a, a spell check that basically looks at this description and says, okay, here's kind of how it's reading based on the score, whether there's bias in play or whether someone it is action-oriented. And they kind of give you a lot of feedback around, you know, instantaneously with this tool, how to change the job description, make it more marketable. Oh. So we're looking at that. And, you know, what I want to be able to do is there's a tons of technologies out there. What I've said to my team is, Let's pick some that we think can really make an impact, okay? I want to really start to think about some things. We, we've got a couple ideas going on around artificial intelligence and how do we think about assessments and things like that. Like we mm. use HackerRank mm. where, you know, we can see can people actually solve technical problems, um, you know. So there's some opportunities for us to really kind of look at some of these assessments. But I've also come into a job where I've said to people, let's pick a few things and really see if they work versus let's pick everything because there's a lot out there yeah. and you really want to make sure that number one they're secure um, you want to know that the candidate experience is good but I also care about the recruiting experience you know so it might be a great experience for the candidate but if the recruiters say this is horrible to use then that's not going to help us be productive so we try to balance that and I've got some great people on my team that are involved in that as well interesting what are the biggest changes you've seen in talent and people strategy over the, I don't know the last 10 years or so I mean, there's, there's a lot. I would say, number one, um, we, and I talked about associate experience, I think you really have to understand, I don't care how good you think your company is, people have options. And I think one of the things that I've seen- Especially in this market, right? Absolutely, and I think that, um, you know, when I started here in I think the mid to late 90s, people thought it was, you know, it was someone's, you know, it was, a, it was an honor for them to be able to accept an offer to come to Fidelity, you know? And that has really changed a lot. Not that I still don't think it's a great honor to get an offer here, but the point being is like, people have choices. And, you know, you have to be 
aware of the fact that it's not just around compensation, it's around career development, it's around skill development. Um, I mentioned benefits, I mentioned space. Um, you want to work with people that you enjoy working with. So I think that the you know associate component has changed a lot in the HR space. And I think more importantly, as you're recruiting people, they want to really understand what the career is. And right now, I've been here 23 years, okay? And you think about it, to an entry-level kid coming in 23 years, they're looking like, whoa, this guy's old. I'm not going to be here in 23 years. <laughs> and, and, but we don't, we don't, I don't know if we expect that either. But we want to be able to give them a great career experience. So I think that we've had to think a little bit differently as we bring people in about helping them navigate their career, provide them with more tools and more support, uh, recognize that it's not just about comp. Because if you're not paying people, they're not going to stay anyway. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I feel like our compensation benefits are we can compete with anyone because we have, I think, just great opportunities here. Um, but I you, think you talked about some of the tools you give them with career development. Can you give an example of some of the sure. things? Sure. So yeah. we, we've put some tools together with my career um, where individuals can come in and actually see how, if I'm a software engineer, if I want to get into architecture, what do I have to do to get there? Okay. And create an opportunity for people to network and build mentorships from people that have exposed themselves to say, hey, I'm willing to mentor somebody to get into get into this space. We actually had a tough time a few years ago finding architects. We've built an architect apprentice program where developers can go and see if that's the career path that they want. Um, so tools like that. Uh, we have career centers. You know, We put a career center in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Uh, we have one in Westlake, Texas. We're going to be putting one into um, Raleigh, North Carolina. And the career centers are really designed to give people an opportunity to go and have a career conversation. Um, they should be having them with their manager, but those don't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they go in to be able to understand. Well, they might want some more objectivity yeah, to it, right? Help with my resume. Yeah. You know, here's what I want to get into. How do I get into this field? So I'm a I'm an operations person, but I want to get into IT. Can I do that? Have people done that before? So I think part of my job which is really to focus on mobility right now, is my team, we have to think differently about equipping our recruiters with better tools to be able to advise people. Um, Because our recruiters tend to be very deep knowledge in their business unit that they support. And the direction that I want to go is I still want that deep business knowledge, but they also have to have a functional knowledge. So if you do an IT, you need to know more than just what's going on either asset management or the retail group. Um, And at the same point, you need to know what's going on in the region. So I think those are some challenges that uh, we've actually talked to Keystone about some ideas on career coaching and things like that. But um, I think that what we've really seen with the associates coming in is that there's a, a high level of expectation. Things are much more transparent. So Glassdoor is an example where you know it's out there. People have a bad experience. They put it out there. It's no different than if you go to go on an open table and you're right. have a bad restaurant experience. It's out there. You have a bad Uber ride. You get rated. They get rated. <laughs> you know. So it's the type of thing where we've had to recognize the fact that there's a lot more transparency, and um, we have to either embrace it because it's not going to change. So we've tried to embrace that a little bit, which you know, I mentioned some of the things we've tried to do around associates coming in. But also, we really do try to think about candidate experience and how that can be a better experience. That's great. We deliver this podcast in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human mm-hmm. Resources Association. And we have the NERA question of the podcast. What advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out or early in their HR career that might want to advance to a position like yours one day? What, what advice would you give? So I give this advice all the time to people. I think the most important thing that any company does is acquire talent. And my opinion, again, just my opinion, is you should be in a role at some point to recruit talent, okay? Because you're gonna evaluate the talent, 
you are going to build a relationship with people that are coming in, but more importantly, you're going to then be able to influence hiring decisions and then follow them through their career. I can tell you, there's people that I hired 23 years ago, and I get I get a sense of pride when I see them still here. You know, and um, I talked about India. I was involved in hiring our president of India, Sunil Kunte, um, and he came in I think in 2004. He's still here. I, I take a lot of pride in that. So I think and you still have a relationship and, there, and, of and still have a relationship. So. I, it's funny, I had a couple folks, one of them actually, actually two of them are UMass interns. Uh, they were interns that we hired full-time in my old group in enterprise technology. And I've talked to both of them about the fact that talent acquisition to me is the most important piece of HR initially to build a career because of that opportunity to, again, evaluate talent, ask questions. There's nothing better than when you're interviewing a candidate and you get a, a, a gut feel. And I know, you know some people inherently have that where this person's either going to be a really great fit, and sometimes you're right, or this person's not going to work and you give your advice, and sometimes you're not right. Mm -hmm. But you need to, in any HR role, you have to build up that courage to then provide coaching and feedback. So I think that you build some of those skills early on by recruiting, by providing consultation to managers. And then I think from there, without question, people come on board. There's then a chance of, hey, I started recruiting. Should I get involved in maybe some of the learning aspects of HR? As people come in, how do you help them build their careers and the type of tools that they need and learnings? Hey, I really liked getting into the business side. And my, my feeling was I worked really closely with other business heads. I said, I want to get into the line and get deeper in the business. And I'd been managing a team and felt like I could coach managers on management effectiveness. And believe me, I'm far from a perfect manager. But like I'd had to do it. So I felt like I had credibility to talk to a manager to say, yeah, it's not easy to kind of manage somebody out. Or it's not easy to lose a really good talent. But you got to celebrate that to have them go someplace else. Right. And um, so I, I don't know. They're alumni, right? And, you know? and again, maybe I'm biased because I'm back in recruiting. But I've always felt that's a great place to start. No, it's good advice. So if you could write a letter of career advice to your 30-year-old self, Paul, what would you write? Yeah, I would say a couple things I've learned, and it's been more from the leadership management side, so my own personal leadership management. I move quickly, and there's times you can go fast by going slow. And what I mean by that is learning not to react, learning that there's multiple sides to issues, and learning that you know, slowing down sometimes gives you different perspectives to then be able to make better decisions. Mm. So I would say as a as a thirty year old, that was something that, you know, I, I needed to learn and still kind of bring it up. You know, we, we have uh, leadership principles that we all uh, talk about with our teams and I still talk to my team about it. You know, and I was joking how an issue came up a couple weeks ago and one group said it was this group's fault, another group said it was another group's fault, another group and I said, if you guys noticed, I didn't send out any, I knew it was a combination where a third, a third, and a third all owned it, and each one was kind of trying to get in front of the issue to say it was another, another part of the organization. So I think that I've tried to slow down and just, you know, not be as reactive, and I think that's a, a, a lesson, and I would coach managers on that. So it's like, I got to coach them, I got to coach myself. And now let's switch to some lighter questions, Paul. So do you think this will be Tom Brady's last year? No, no. Um, <laughs> With the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably know this. Um, I'm fortunate. I've had season tickets since 2000. I have seen them go 5-2 and two in Super Bowls. So I've been to seven Super Bowls. Oh, right? wow. Yep, I have uh, a good friend of mine works for the team, so I've been able to always go to the games. So no, I think he'll probably play at least two more years. Okay, other than the Patriots, what gives you energy? 
I would say, you know, my, my family. I'm really lucky. I've got uh, four kids, uh, three boys. Uh, my oldest graduated Penn State last year. Congratulations. He works, he works in New York City. Um, Almost I, as good as a UMass that's right, graduate. That's right. A little bit more for the educational class. Uh, <laughs> I have two other boys, one who is going to be a rising senior. He goes to Indiana University, and he's in the Kelly Business School. And my other son is a sophomore at the Kelly Business School. My middle son is uh, working at Deloitte Consulting this summer, and my youngest son is actually interning here at Fidelity. So it's kind of nice to hear his view of this company <laughs> through the eyes of a, of a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. And my daughter is going to be a uh, high school senior. So um, yeah, my family and mine have got a great wife. So my family gives me a lot of energy. And uh, I'd say, I, I brought up earlier, I give my wife a lot of credit. I don't think a lot of husbands that come home with a six-month-old and say, hey, I'm going to take this contract job, and there's no benefits or anything, <laughs> and no health care. And says, yeah, sure, great idea. Um, but you know, she knew I wanted to do something different. And um, that says a lot. So I, I feel fortunate with that. That's great. Thank you. If you could go to dinner with any living person, who would it be and why? What's really interesting, and I'll, not to make it all about football, but Bill Belichick is a tremendous CEO, and he doesn't get credit for this, but he is one of the few sports professionals who operates his organization. He's always thinking about succession planning, always, okay? He is not afraid to make tough decisions on talent, okay? He will let people go if they're not performing. He does a lot of the things that are right that we'd want other leaders to do. Um, and even if you go into this whole you know, Brady Garoppolo thing, he was That's looking, what I was thinking he once was, you brought that he up. He was looking at the future. Now, I also get the fact that there's a loyalty component, and I've seen this you know, in roles where people have a lot of loyalty, and, and I think Brady's earned that loyalty. But I think it's really interesting to see how he thinks about his organization, how he thinks about different ways to bring in talent, how he uses the draft, how he thinks about free agents, what people he's willing to invest money in, knowing that, you know what, they're really committed as opposed to others where once they get the money, they're not going to be as committed. So it's just really interesting. To me, he is a tremendous CEO, but I don't think people fully appreciate that unless you're working in a business where you say, I wish we did manage performance more aggressively. I wish we did think more about succession. I wish we did think about all these different ways to bring in talent. And the other thing that he does, which I think is tremendous, and I think it goes to how we try to operate here as a company, once you're here, it doesn't matter. Like I went to UMass. No one's ever said to me, how can you go to Harvard? Right. No one's ever said it's that. It's all about me. what you do. It's right? all about what you do. So right. you know, undrafted. Not that Malcolm Butler is a great name to bring up, but you know, but Malcolm Butler, undrafted, <laughs> undrafted free agent. Right. You know, he's had several of those. Get in there and play. Yeah. You know, so I think that that just says a lot, and I think there's a lot of ways to equip how he runs his organization to how a good business can operate. That's great. Well, Paul, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.